Thank you for tuning in to this week's podcast from Discovery Church. Our hope is that this message would help you seek truth and find purpose. If you would like to know more about Discovery Church, please check us out online at mydiscoverychurch.ca. With that said, let's go to this week's message. The word I, I shared a little bit last week, I don't know if you were here, and we talked about the unsinkable life. And the unsinkable life is, is, is a life that, uh, that understands that hope floats, faith floats, and love floats. But there's something, and we talked about the things in our lives that actually can cause shipwrecks. Sometimes it's above the surface, sometimes it's below the surface. And we talked about the prodigal son story or the lost son story. And uh, we talked about shallow living. I'm going to get into that in a little bit. But what's interesting about this story, it's a little bit of misdirection, to be honest with you. Because the story isn't actually about the lost son or the older son. It's actually about the father. Jesus is actually trying to teach us in a parable. And if we look at Luke 15, he actually talks about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. And he's saying, this is what God is like. That stuff that is lost and is found is worth celebrating. In fact, there's two other passages right before the lost son story in Luke 15. And it's the, it's the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, isn't there a, is, if you lost one of your sheep, wouldn't you leave the 99 to go look for them? And, and then, he, then Jesus says right after that, that's what happens in heaven when someone is found, when someone comes to relationship with God. All of heaven rejoices. I, I was thinking about this this morning, that probably Sundays are a really big deal in heaven because lots of people come to Jesus all over the world. And, uh, and the, this massive celebration, I wonder if they wait all week. It's like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. Can't wait for Sunday. Someone's going to find Jesus. Someone's going to find hope. Oh boy, oh, this is exciting. Sunday's coming. <laughs> it talks about the celebration and, and the, this widow who loses a coin and, and, and just flips her house upside down to find that coin and, and celebrate. Hey, look, I found my coin. Ah, it's exciting. You ever lost something? I have. Not very often, but I've lost my children a couple times. Jamin's here today, and we lost him really early. <laughs> my wife and I, we were married at uh, right around 20, and kids by 21, and so we're just new to parenting, and so we're at Walmart. I don't know what we're looking for, something probably for our home, and, and I love the electronic section. I still do. You know, if we go to Walmart, <laughs> Corey will go off her, and we'll, we'll meet up at the till, and so... So, she, so we're pushing Jamie. Do you remember those? I don't think they have them anymore. Those Walmart baby seats where you, they actually had it like welded onto the actual shopping cart. And so we, so we throw Jamie in there, belt them all in. And so we're going. And so we get down, we get down to the, where the two roads diverge, you know, kind of just that middle aisle. And Corey's going to over here and I'm going to go over there. And she goes, okay, I'm going to go over here and I'm going to look at this. And I said, well, I'm going to go over to electronics and we'll meet you at the till. Great. So Corey goes off this way and I go off this way and Jamin's just left there. As like six month old or seven month old. And, and, uh, and, and so we get to the till and I walk around the corner and she walks around the corner. We have our stuff and we stare at each other like, where's Jamin? And I'm like, uh, and 
I don't know if you've ever lost children. Uh, I've, uh, you know, it's, it's a horrifying experience. I always think the worst. I immediately ran to the parking lot. Like, I'm like, someone must have taken him. He's cute. He's, you know, he's, 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 he's a baby. He's not fussy. And, you know, what, what? I ran to the doors, and I'm like, I'm standing at the door, make sure no one, and Corey runs back. Sure enough, Jamie was there, and he's just sitting there nice and quiet, and she pulls him up. When, when Corey came around the corner, pushing that cart, my heart just came alive. The fear, the terror in like a one-minute window to absolute, uh, the thrill of discovery and finding that, that my son was lost is now found. My daughter, Callie, she's working the kids today. We were at Disneyland, and you know, I'm, I'm going to make sure we get a good seat for the fireworks because I'm not sitting back with everyone else. I'm getting right to the front. So I'm like dragging kids. We have four kids dragging them through and 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 Callie just for a split second got got separated. And you know, again, I'm, th- I'm thinking the worst and oh. And we had actually talked about this, you know, I don't know if you've done that before where where, where you you were going somewhere and your parents said, "Okay, if we ever get separated, this is what's going to happen." And so Callie, the strong leader she is, even as a youngster, goes and finds one of the Disneyland people. I'm not joking. Disneyland's absolutely incredible. It's the most magical place on the earth. I'm telling you, the people there are so well-trained. It was like within 30 seconds they had found her and phoned over. We went and found someone, and we reunited. And it's like, I get Callie, and I hug her. I'm like, don't ever leave. You know, you get that sense of lostness. I've been lost. I've been separated from a group, and it's not a fun feeling, but there's this sense of, in it, there's such relief when you know that you're found. You see, it's not only in Luke 15, this is a major theme, but it's right through the entire Bible. It's all about God finding that which was lost, and then bringing them in and celebrating, but then not only celebrating, there's a sense of restoration, you don't only you don't just you don't just pick up, you know. It's like, well, I've lost this, lost that, and you know, well, good, I'm back with God, and we'll just pick up from there. No, there's actually a restoration that happens when you come and you know God, and we see that in Luke 15. Did you know that God still restores today? He still restores relationships and marriages and families and physical bodies and emotional health and businesses and finances. That's who God is. Things that maybe you thought were lost today can be found in God. Things that you thought would never be restored can be restored in God. And so we see the younger son of this story in Luke 15. He basically said to his dad, I would rather have you dead Give me my inheritance now. And he decides in that moment saying, I can't wait for you to pass away. I'm going to take my inheritance now and I'm going to go spend it. I'm going to have a time in my life. And he gets into the shallow waters. And the shallow waters are always where the biggest shipwrecks happen. It's in those places where you're living for yourself. You're in control. You're not willing to risk. There's no faith in that place, and you, and you start doing sinful living. You start, you start experimenting with stuff. And this guy had spent all of his money, and when his money ran out, so did his friends. And so when his friends, and now he's left, and he's got nothing uh, going for him, he's got this terrible job. But he has this sense. The Bible says it said, when he came to his senses, he said, 
even my father's servants, even though I said to my father, I'd rather, basically saying this, I'd rather have you dead. He goes, I still have a sense of hope that that my father will at least hire me back as one of his workers. I I don't expect to come back as a son. I don't expect to pick up where we left off. It's like, hey, dad, I'm back. I I talked about this last week. My kids did that. I I don't, like, I'd like to think I'd be like, no, come here. I'd be like, what are you doing back? I thought you'd rather have me dead. What, what, you think you can just come back and just pick up where you left off? No. I was deeply hurt and wounded in that moment that you said, I'd rather have you dead. And you spent it all and now you're coming back? But he had a, he had a sense. He said when he came to his senses, he said, I'm going to go back to my father and at least I could come back. With the older son, the older son sees it and he has, while it doesn't look on the outside, like the younger son was in sin and hanging out with prostitutes and, and partying and spending all his money. The, the older son was staying at home doing his work and being, being the good older son, the good firstborn, you know, and, and, and taking care of dad and taking care of the farm and all of these things. And he, and he sees this big party happening for his younger brother and he goes, ah, I'm so angry. I'm bitter. And while it wasn't sin on the outside, there was sin on the inside. He was carrying an offense and bitterness and resentment and jealousy was starting to build in him. And so it was sin on the outside with the younger son or it was sin on the inside with the older brother. But I want you to pay attention as we reread it again. I want you to pay attention now to the father's responses. What is he saying about his sons? And so you'll have it up there on the screens. In Luke 15, verse 20, it says this. So he returned home to his father. This is the younger son. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with anger and bitterness. No, it doesn't say that. Filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And he said... His son said to him, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But his father said to his servant, I love you, just totally ignored him. He had his whole speech. Dad, uh, I don't know if you ever did that when you were young. You knew that you were caught. You had to, you had to fess up, and you're like, okay, I have to form my words very carefully right now. Uh, I got to, Dad, um, <clears throat> I have sinned against you in heaven. You know, and he's like, he, and his dad just totally ignores him. Quick! Bring the finest robe. But other, other, uh, other versions call it the first robe. And we'll get to that in a second. In the house and put it on him. Get a ring on his finger and sandals for his feet. And kill the calf we've been fattening. Love that. We must celebrate with a feast for his son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost but now was found. And so the party began. Wow. Meanwhile... The older son was in the fields working, and when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house and asked one of his servants, one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. Again, we talked about the fattened calf last week. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, wouldn't go in. It's not fair. His father came out. He came out to find him and begged him 
And he replied, all these years, the older son replied to the father, all these years I've slaved for you, never once refused to do a single thing you told me. And in all that time, you never even gave me a young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when the son of yours comes back, after squandering all your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. And his father said to him, look, dear son, you've always stayed with me and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate. I love that. We had to celebrate. We couldn't avoid it. This is too big of a deal. We had to celebrate this happy day for your brother is dead and has come back to life. He was lost and he was now found. What an incredible story. It's like the invisible God becomes visible in this passage. We actually see Jesus is saying, it's hard to explain what God is like, but this is what he's like. Just like this, this father, and it's like, that doesn't make sense. That's unexplainable grace. How, how does that happen? That is unexplainable grace. I heard it said, and I can't actually remember who it said. It said this, what your first thought about God is the single most, most important thing about you. What's your first thought about God? Do you think he's angry? Do you think he's a mat, like a hard master? Do you think that he's unfair? Do you think that he plays favorites? So many people have an opinion on God and it's not all good. But Jesus is explaining this something to us here and it'll be up on the screen, it's this. Is God is way better than you think he is. You, you, think, of, you think about God, you think, well, I think he's pretty good, I think he's pretty solid, yeah, cool dude. But he's way better, way better than you think he is. There's a scripture in the Psalms, it, David the psalmist writes, taste and see that the Lord is good, taste and see. Um, that word taste is interesting of one of the senses. It's, it's, it's something that you can't have other people do for you, right? Taste is, you get, it's like, hey, taste this. It's like, uh, I don't know. No, you try it first. But even if they try it, that still doesn't help you because you're subjective to their taste buds. You, don't, you actually have to personally taste it to see if it's actually good. Um, uh, when my kids were little, we would, my wife loves to create and, and create delicious meals and, and try new recipes. And so the kids growing up sometimes would look and go, what's this? And say, oh, it's squash. Oh, okay, whatever, squash, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, what, you pick. And, and, and sometimes the kids would go, I don't like those. And our question, if you're a parent out there or you've gone through it, it's like, well, how do you know? You've never tasted it. Yeah, I just don't like it. But you, you've never, you have to try at least a little bit. And then, and then they would try just the smallest amount. See, see, I don't like it. See, I don't like it. I think that's how some people think about God. I think they go, I don't like God. Well, how do you know you don't like God? I just don't. I had a bad experience at church. I watched something on TV. I don't understand it. It seems unfair. The news is always da, 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 da. I don't like God. And my question is, have you ever tasted? Have you ever personally experienced God? Because here's what you'll discover is that he's very good. He's very, very good. And he's way better than you think he is. And when you begin to personally say, okay, fine, I'll take a little taste. You, maybe you're here today for the very first time. You've never been to church before, and you're just going, this is kind of like a taste test. It's like I'm, I, I'm, I'm seeing what's happening. I'm experiencing what's happening. I'm meeting other people. I'm, I'm connecting and, and, and enjoying this experience. Okay, I'm kind of tasting and seeing what God is like. 
And I love how the psalmist goes, he doesn't just stand there, he goes, taste and see. Uh, I used to have my friends blindfold me, or uh, blindfold, that sounded terrible. Uh, I used to, we used to do these taste tests sometimes, and we did it for youth group where we blindfold someone and then they'd put something in front, and I'd never do it. I, I, I literally couldn't trust my friends as far as I could throw them, honestly. Like, I just knew that there's something disgusting. There. But every now and then, you know, it's like my wife would try a new dessert or something. And she'd, go, she'd go, okay, close your eyes, taste it. What does it taste like? And, da, 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 and, you start, and all of a sudden you realize, wow, that is so good. And then my immediate reaction, and probably your immediate reaction, is right after that is the question is this. Is there more? Right? And this is what I think David the psalmist is saying. He's saying, taste that God is good and see that there's way more. See that there's way more. You're just skimming the surface. Today, you are just starting to taste a little bit. It's like an iceberg. You only see 10%, but there's 90% underneath the surface that if you just dive down a bit deeper, you'll see and understand that God is good. I hope my first thought about God is that. I hope my first thought about that, that God is good. Because then when I go to him and pray, God, can you bring healing to my family? I know he's a good God, and he'll respond. I know that when I go through difficult circumstances, the Bible says that he'll work all of these things together for my good. That I believe and know and trust that God is good because I've tasted and I've seen. I've experienced and I've known that there is so much more. And even as a young person up till now, I know I have just scratched the surface of God's love, God's grace. And in all of that, he pours out fully and gives out fully to us. And he does this. And we see it in the story. That God is full, and this is going to be up on the screen. God is full of mercy and grace. God is, as we see it in the story, he's got peace and love and joy. And it's tough to do one story and explain all the attributes of God. But we see Jesus trying to explain here in this part. That God is full of mercy and grace. And mercy is this. Not giving us what we deserve. That's mercy. Mercy. Not giving, not giving us what we deserve. Grace is this. Giving us what we don't deserve. Does that make sense? So let me give you an example. Let's say I get caught stealing an Xbox because I want to play Fortnite. Okay? Some of you are like, what's Fortnite exactly? <laughs> and, uh, and so I steal the Xbox and I get caught by Pastor Lauren. So Pastor Lauren comes up and says, Paul, you stole an Xbox. And I'm like, Guilty as charged. What were you wanted for? I want to play Fortnite. Okay. I said, what's my punishment? Uncle Lorne. <laughs> and Lorne goes, I'm going to extend mercy. There is no punishment. What? I just stole an Xbox. Like, you're not going to... No. And grace is, and not only am I not going to punish you, Paul... I'm going to give you a 60-inch TV so you can really enjoy it. <laughs> There's that mercy. I, I should get punished for this, but I'm not. Grace is I'm getting more than I should. Way more than I should. And that's what God is like. But let me tell you something. That sin that I had of stealing the Xbox, there's still some punishment. Punishment has to be handed out. 
It just is taken out on Jesus on the cross. There is still punishment for sin. God didn't just go, la, 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 I don't see the sin. No, no, he just took it all out so that we would never have to feel guilt or shame ever again. He took all of that away. And then he goes, and because of that, and because now there's a restoration, I was lost and now found, and I have a relationship with God, now grace just pours out. The Bible says this, that every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms is yours. He does not give uh, with, with uh, scarcity, but he gives without measure. This is our God. He's way better than you think he is. He pours out this mercy and grace. It's unexplainable. I can't understand it. And you think about the tension of the son coming home with the hope and the fear. And, and there's the father. He sees him in herdsman clothes, filthy hands, filthy feet. Saw what he was and what he became. And yet still runs to him and kisses him. And says, I'm going to reinstate you as a son. That's unexplainable grace. And he gives him the robe. As we talked about that first robe. The robe of righteousness. He put him back in right standing. That's what that symbolized. He gave him a ring. A symbol of love, commitment, sonship and honor. But it also was a sign of trust. Saying, I trust you with money again. This ring could be used to go and pay for things. And then shoes, no more slipping, no more falling, no more stumbling. You're, you're going you're gonna to stand better now. Symbolic of that. And then he sees the other son and he runs to him. He knows that he's not at the party. And he chases after him and begs him to come back. Like the shepherd that leaves the 99 for the one. I'm going to tell you a story about my dad. He, he's, he's a pastor. He's been pastoring up north for uh, 28 years, I think, somewhere in that zone, in the same church. And both my mom and dad are heroes, and I'll tell you why. For lots of reasons, but for this. Um, after having three kids of their own, they decided to adopt three more. And, uh, and uh, that came with some wonderful joys. It also came with some challenges when we found out that my sister, later she was the first of the three, um, got diagnosed with uh, fetal alcohol syndrome. We had noticed that something had been wrong and something had been off. And she'd had fetal alcohol syndrome and other mental illness started kicking in. It wasn't her fault. You know, born with, uh, in a tough situation with a troubled mom. And, and uh, so anyways, she grows up through her teen years, but we realize that she can't, she's getting more, she's harder to take care of, and mom and dad have to make the tough decision that she needs full-time care. And, and of course, in a small town in northern Alberta, full-time care is tough to find, and so she ends up coming to Edmonton, being on her own, and, and me and my wife were in Edmonton, so we tried to run, you know, uh, help them out as much as we could, and so, but, but my sister began to decline pretty quickly, and just getting caught in the system, and not getting right funding, these different things, and and one day she, uh, she had been several weeks since I'd heard from her and, and noticed that uh, from her workers that she hasn't been taking her medication and, and, and did something quite, uh, didn't hurt anybody, but was very aggressive. And the police wanted to question her about something. And, and she, she became super paranoid and ended up running away. And she ended up hitchhiking all the way to Vancouver from here. And no money, nothing. 
all of it. She's just, just literally the clothes that she has. She's just living in East Hastings, which I think is still today the poorest neighborhood in Canada. And so I go to the police station, and of course they can't tell me about her because I said, well, I'm an alternate guardian, that's fine, but we're protecting her. She's an adult. And, and I'm look, like, look, she's grade seven mentality. She's on her own. We don't know where she is. Can you tell us anything? And he goes, well, I can't tell you anything, but, I will, but to help you out, and this police officer was very kind. And he said, to help you out, we have reason to believe that she's in Vancouver. Okay. So I get on the phone with mom and dad. Dad's coming to a Promise Keepers event in Calgary the next day. I said, dad, it sounds like she's probably been arrested in Vancouver. So dad's quite troubled about it. And he's got, well, I'm leading this, bringing some guys down, going to an event. So he comes down. And during one of the services, the Lord speaks to my dad very clearly. says, you go get your girl. Go get your girl. And dad says, it's Vancouver. This isn't Fairview. He says, go get your girl. So he tells the guys at the, at the event, he says, I've got to leave you. You know, you guys can take my vehicle back. They've driven down to Calgary. He's going to fly to Vancouver. And they had known about Crystal and prayed for her on the way down. And one of the guys, one of his board members at the time was a six foot three, like big, solid guy who was ex-RCMP and worked in Vancouver. He goes, Pastor Al, I'm going with you. I'm not sending out there alone. So there's my dad, five foot nine, you know, and six foot three. And he's like, and they get to Vancouver and it's just like the movies. He, my dad told me, he's like, it felt so weird because it's like, have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? Hey, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. Have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl? It's my daughter. Have you seen her? And down there, nobody's trusting a guy, two guys walking around, you know. I'm like, dad, you didn't wear a trench coat, did you? No, no, I would a bomber, you know. It's just like, have you seen this girl? Have you seen this girl going to? And so his, this board member friend of his says, well, why don't we start checking the shelters? And so they went to the shelters and they get there. And he said, have you seen this girl? And the guy looks and he goes, well, who's asking? Because I'm her father. He goes, I can't tell you if she's here or not, but she may be. She may have come around. And so my dad leaves his cell phone number. So I have to understand within 12 hours, got a lead. They go out for supper. Dad's phone rings. She's here. You just, you better get here. I don't know how long she's going to be here, but you better get here right now. So they, they literally just left their food, everything. Ran over to the place. Says room number three. So dad goes up there. He opens the door. And sees my sister with no shoes. All disheveled. Probably wearing the same clothes for two or three weeks that she's been there. And he looks at her and he says, Crystal, it's time to go home. She looks at him and just cusses him right out. Just starts swearing at him. Dad looks at her and says, Crystal, it's time to come home. And she ran over and collapsed in his arms and began to cry. And she said, Dad, I knew you were going to come. I said, Crystal, what do you mean? She goes, when I was... I had to stay in jail overnight. And the police officers there were telling me to be quiet. And I said, my dad's coming for me. And they're like, 
no 27-year-old mentally ill woman. Their dad is not looking for you. Just be quiet. She's like, my dad is coming. Hey, be quiet. She says, you don't know my dad. My dad is coming for me. She said, dad, I knew you were going to come. I knew you were going to come. And so they brought her home. Today, we had her over at her house just last week. We see her uh, probably once a month. And she is, she is living a life now better than she has in many, many years. And God took that, that tough situation and actually made it for good. I'm watching it. And this invisible God became so visible in the life of my father. And having this wonderful miracle, literally finding a needle in the haystack. That's what God's like. He's he's chasing me constantly. I drift away from him and he's right behind. He's right behind. He's he's closer. He's like, where? Oh, you're there. I can't escape him. I can't escape his love. I can't escape his grace. I can't escape his mercy. I can't escape his peace. I try sometimes. I'm going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the better way. And I keep coming back saying, God, please forgive me because you know what's best for me and you always have my best interests at heart. You're chasing me because you, you, you desperately want to be with me. And maybe you're here today and you're wandering away from God. Can I tell you to come back and taste and see and experience and know the goodness of God that I know that many people in this auditorium know? Maybe you're here today and you've never actually made that decision. It's like, I don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I, I've never experienced that kind of love. I, I don't know if anyone cares about me. I, I've never experienced that kind of uh, someone desiring and wanting to, to be with. I've never, I, just, I don't know what that's like. Can I encourage you today to taste and see, to experience God? He's done absolutely everything. He, God sent his son Jesus to die on a cross, to take all of the punishment, all of the mistakes, all of, all of my shortcomings, all the sins that I, I've done and that I will do in my lifetime. And he took that all punishment on the cross and died for my sins. Three days later, beating death. So that when I breathe my very last breath, I go to heaven. I have that assurance in my heart. I just know that when my day is, my days here are done, I will go to heaven. Good works don't get me to heaven. It's only Jesus. It's only relationship with him. And he says, if, if you just invite me in, if you just come to me, I'll forgive all your sins. If you just be like that son, and maybe you're sitting there, I don't know if God can forgive me. Maybe you've got a speech prepared already. God, um, uh, he's just going to ignore it. He's just going to say, come and receive forgiveness. Come and receive hope. Come and receive. I'm chasing after you. This is what I've always wanted. From the very first day you took your breath to now, God's saying, I've wanted relationship with you so that you can know me personally and know what hope and joy and peace and faith and love is. Not like this world gives it, but like how it's meant to be. Thanks for taking time to listen to this week's message from Discovery Church. If this ministry has impacted you in any way, we would love to hear about it. Please email us at 
info at mydiscoverychurch.ca.